Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. This is a space where we share stories from activists around the world. We hope that these stories inspire you to act locally as we share. Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. We're going to start, as always, with a land acknowledgement. A recognition that we are on stolen land is not enough when the genocide we call history still continues today and is reinforced by the daily lives of those unaware. Residential schools only closed their last doors in 1997, but the mentality of the residential schools lives on. White people imagine living in a place that not only normalizes genocide, but actively covers it up. We don't live here because a peaceful treaty was signed. We live here because white people before us brutally pushed their way in. This includes our current government, RCMP and church, and we need to acknowledge this and the harmful systems it brought with it before we can even attempt to create reconciliation. It is a privilege to not know that you are living in such a way that makes a genocidal reality seem like regular everyday life. But I would still like to recognize that the stolen land I'm speaking from um, is rightfully the home of the traditional territories of the Blackfoot nations and was forced to be the home of Treaty 7. These nations are Siksika, Gaina, and Pigani. In these spaces, the Siksika Gates of the people lived and practiced their oral traditions as far back as existence goes. Treaty 7 was signed on September 22, 1877 in a brutally unethical way. This treaty was not upheld. Treaty 7 includes the Sutina Nation, the Stony Nakoda Nations, and the Métis Nation of Region 3. So this space, known as Calgary, is actually rightfully known as Mokinstis. Thank you. Um, so today we have Gets Crazy Boy, an activist, author, um, youth worker, actor, and all-around inspiring human. Um, he has done so much work in so many different spaces, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, I want to just hop in, just jump right in and talk about you. Um, you've been an activist um, in not just Alberta, but in North America for a really, really, really long time. Um, you've worked in a lot of different spaces with a lot of different people. And you've, yeah, I, you know what, I don't even actually know where to start. Um, but yeah, thank you for being here. Well, in the wise words of the Mad Hatter, start at the beginning, and when you get to the end, stop. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, to start at the beginning, so you are from Fort McMurray or Fort Chip, um, and so I, my dad's side is from Lake Athabasca. Um, they did a lot of traveling al along the the Delta from the well I guess what you like post-colonization which you uh refer to as like Saskatchewan and then specifically around an area called Carswell Lake um but my grandfather Baba or Isidore Duranger he used to travel northern northern Alberta north Saskatchewan north Manitoba to the barren lands on dog sled um that's my dad's side they eventually moved to Fort Chip after on my mom's side we're from um Bikani, which is just south of Calgary 
in Blackfoot territory here in Treaty 7. My dad's up in Treaty 8. Mom's in Treaty 7. But I did, like, I grew up, I spent some time on the res, and then we moved up to Fort Mac in 89. And then I grew up there and graduated. So I got to see the little, I got to see the boomtown effects of, um, of Fort Mac. It was kind it was really nice, quiet town. It was always kind of crazy. But then after Kachen came up um, and there was more of a fixation on the tar sands and more, I guess, um, investment, it became pretty lawless for a while. It was a really wild town for a bit. It really mirrored like Sin City, like of all the crazy corruption and, how much money there was drugs everything it was just it was a crazy place to grow up but once i graduated started moving around uh, different parts of north america living with different indigenous peoples learning as much as i could and then moving back to fort mac until the fort mac fire and then after that i moved down here to calgary when did your activism um or if that's what you or or your work in fort murray start I want to say my like early twenties, uh, I really, people were so ignorant about the process of the oil extraction and the cost in which we lose the earth to get the oil. And then just seeing all the changes. Um, and so I just started talking about my experience growing up there and then learning about the process itself. And I, it was interesting to challenge people on their their ideas of what Fort Mac is and Fort Chip. Um, even like Fort Mackay, Janvier, Conklin, all the surrounding indigenous communities. Um, because people are so far removed and the indigenous narrative is, is one that gets um, silenced a lot. And so I was just bringing my personal story around and kind of had a knack to talk to people about it and just bringing up these, these truths about it. Um, and also like, I don't really give a shit either. So I don't really care about messing up someone's day, their presentation. I don't care about where they're at. Like, I don't really give a shit if they're lying or they're telling a half truth and they're not from there. Like I got to represent my people. Um, so I would say like in my early twenties, really just really began to tell my story of, of Fort McMurray and Fort Chip. Um, and it's also carrying the stories of my family and friends and the people we've lost from cancer and, uh, and like trying to carry those stories, people who are deeply impacted. Um, and then seeing that impact on them, you know, and some of those I was directly impacted, but some, I definitely wasn't, but knowing that their pain, that their truth was able to get out and not just be like, just stuck in, in, in this, this far corner of the boil forest. Yeah, yeah. And you've talked about your Fort Mac experiences all over North America. Um, you've talked about it um, in the Idle No More movement, um, as well as at, I think, different universities. Um, I watched a couple different talks, little clips. Um, and like you have been sharing this message, it seems, for quite a long time. Um, and some of the stuff that I had heard in um, your different talks um, are, are things that I've heard in your more current talks um, in the past few years. And so I feel like you've been um, trying to explain this to people for a, quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, well, one of the things to address right away, because I know haters will say like, oh, he traveled around North America, he uses gas, he's a, he's a hypocrite. And the interesting thing about that is like, the, what makes you a worse hypocrite is not, you know, using something and being critical about it. 
So people who eat meat will often just completely disregard the arguments of a, a vegetarian or a vegan because they don't eat meat, you know? And they're like, what right do you have to talk about this? Cause you don't, you know, you don't participate in this. We participate, we forcefully participate in the oil extraction. Um, whether or not I fly or not fly, they're still exploiting indigenous peoples in Treaty 8. They're still taking the oil out of the land. People are still dying, whether or not I hop on a plane. Um, and the way I always kind of justify it is that it's, I looked always as like an investment. Um, and I didn't hit everything because I was, I was always asked to go to different places all the time to talk about it. And some of them I found worthwhile and some, I would just be like, I don't, don't want to go there. Like, there's no point, you know, I don't want to fly to like send, you know, the G8 or G20 or G10. I don't want to fly to those conferences. I don't really, I don't personally see a point in them and going um, others do. And that's fantastic. I just, ne- you'll never see me go to one and I never really agreed with going. So I, there's a lot of these stuff I had to turn down because it comes back to that investment. If I go to this place, um, how many people can I talk to? How many people can I engage with? And will that be worthwhile? And so that was always kind of what we, my, my main purpose, my main focus was in traveling. So I really want to like address that because I know people, haters will say like, oh, he uses gas. Therefore, I don't have to listen to him. He's a hypocrite. Like whether or not I use gas, they're still exploiting the people. And I always try to make these moments count. If I was going to hop on a plane and I was going to go to an area, it had to, it had to matter. It had to matter to me at least, even if, Somebody doesn't get it. Even if I pissed off some of those like environmental activist allies that I didn't want to go to their thing. Yeah. I, so the biggest, the most, the most pissed off criticism that I saw of you that pissed me off and I think would piss other people too off if they saw it is the guy, the guy that made rebel media oh. like <laughs> 10 years ago, you somehow got on stage to debate him and you did amazing like you your words it was fantastic it was beautiful and then this guy just got racist and racist and holy shit racist and he just kept and people were booing him and he did not care oh i mean that's like that's ezra levant um he actually he called me a jew baiter in a holocaust night which both are you know like i fully believe these things happen these atrocities happen to the to the jewish people I often found overlaps um, with the colonization, the eradication of the Jewish folks and us in North America. There was a lot of similarities um, where, I mean, there's like, there's a lot of differences as well, but I mean, I'm not here going to argue about um, or diminish or demin or devalue the loss of Jewish life because those are sacred dead. And there was a lot of things I'd learned from my Jewish friends that I carried over to my ideologies, things I incorporated. So when we talk about our survivors of like the residential schools or those that died, they became our sacred dead. But that thing, sacred dead, I got that. It was completely borrowed from my, my late brother, David Lertzman. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was, he was an interesting character. I, I never knew who he was. And he was like, oh, they ambushed me. I had no idea who he was. I was in school in Vancouver at the time. And I was, they had all these like, uh, these flyers. And I'd walk by one. And it was like the ethics of oil. Ben, oh man, I can't remember his name. Ben West, I think, and Ezra Levant. They're having a debate. I'm like, oh, maybe this is like oil compared to conflict oil. Maybe that's what the whole thing is about. Maybe it's like, 
you know, Saudi Arabia, or maybe it's about these illegal mi- or these mining companies, which are skirting in a gray area. They're exploiting people around the world, or maybe it's about some big massacre I haven't heard of yet. And that was my thought process walking in. And I'm watching this debate happen. I'm like, man, this is like terrible. Um, ben was doing his best, but the overall story of who we were again was being left out. You have these environmental activists, they have a really good idea. Um, and they tend to like just not really purposefully or not purposely silence our voice or miss a whole segment of who we are. And so that pissed me off. I was actually pretty mad. I was more mad at Ben than I was at Ezra. And then when I got on there with Ezra, I didn't realize he'd blow a gasket and that he would just keep blowing his gasket further and further and further. Like I did not expect that. Um, and I had like, I had some Jewish people I didn't even know being like, that guy doesn't represent us. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't expect one guy to represent, you know, the entire Jewish race, everybody that's passed on, everyone that's coming. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was really crazy. It was, yeah, it was hard to watch. Like he went at you from a couple different angles and like, that means you got, you must've got to him. Cause even when people were booing him, he just was talking over the booing. I think like, you know, like healthy, I think healthy debates are important, but the care, like everything you need to know, not really everything, the core values of who he is that you really need to know took place in that last 10 seconds where like he went nuts. And then even then I was like, okay, whatever. Just like, I'll shake his hand. Like, you know, whatever fucking happened, we'll just, it's, it's, you know, it happened. And then I remember offering my hand to him and he just flat out rejected me. If you ever want to know a person's core values, what they really are like, he literally showcased it. And that's exactly who he is. And I wish this guy would learn to be a better human being to other people, but he hasn't. He just kind of doubled down and became more bitter over the years. Yeah, because I guess he started like the Western standard first, but then like someone took it and made it less shitty, which is surprising. Um, and then he went for the rebel media. He was, and he's also a lawyer, I think. He was a lawyer. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I the video I saw actually didn't have the ending. Um, oh, you didn't, you didn't see me try to shake his hand? No, and I didn't. So I must have missed a part of the debate too, because it did cut off. Um, I think there's like there's two there's two there's two points in that there's two videos to watch. Yeah. Um, and I I hate to watch myself. I really hate watching myself. Like I never watch any of those, my talks or anything. Um, and I probably should to like critique and make, make myself as like a better speaker, but it was hard, but people kept saying like, you need to watch it. So I watched it a couple of times. Um, but I remember just like, I just, just I remember hearing my mom's voice, you know, uh, just shake his hand you know, just, you know, give him, give him that little bit of the courtesy to shake his hand. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's that's who his character is you know yeah yeah um i'll have to find the second part and i'll have to check that out but it it was wild it was one of the wilder things um, you just don't think it'll get worse and you're like holy shit it's getting worse every sentence <laughs> he's not gonna get louder and he gets louder yeah yeah i'm yeah i'm scared to watch the second half but i will um okay well i'm fu- on funnier notes other other cool things that you've done and to get your message out the yes men when you started working with them in fort mcmurray and then you did a couple different projects with them yeah um 
And so in Fort McMurray, was that when you you first met them? They came to do the Tarzan? Uh, oh, my cousin, Ariel, uh, she does the indigenous climate action, I think. In that, based out of, based in Canada. I think that's what she has now. Um, I just got sick of all these like people coming to Mac and shooting documentaries and stuff and having to go talk to them. And you never see the shit that they make. Like I never see any of them. They never send me a link, whatever. So I just got sick of it. I was like, I don't want to talk to any more of your friends. Like I don't give a shit to what they're doing anymore. Like it's a waste of my goddamn time. And then uh, she sent me this thing and she's like, well, the yes men want to come up and they really want to meet you. And I was like, fuck, I don't, fine. Like, I guess I'll meet them. Like, this will be the, the very last one. And it's literally like, I would tell her, don't send me anything. And then the second I do that, she sends me something right after it always pissed me off. Even like talking to people, I'd be like, well, I'm done. I don't want to like talk to this person. And then she would send me that person right after and be like, okay, whatever. So I took them around and um, I think that we went to like Mackay and they wanted to get a boat to go do take some footage and they were filming their their third film um the yes men are revolting and uh so we got a boat i got my buddy's gourd's boat from makai and we're going and then we run aground we had a sandbar and it screws up the engine and we have to paddle and we were on we were stuck on the like the river for like i, I swear like eight hours paddling we get stuck, we jump off, we push the boat out, we start paddling again, we get stuck. And we just bonded. We just kept telling stories and laughing. And it was a really cool experience. And then afterwards, we went to Joma's Pizza. We got some donaires, we talked, and that was it. I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't know what's going to make it in the film or not. They have this amazing segment with this guy named Kyle, um, who was like, he was the total bro of oil sands, like, everything he said was gold and I'm surprised to make it into the film. Like he didn't care about the environment. He didn't care about anything. He just wanted to dig into the earth and get the oil. And that's all he cared about. Anyways. Um, so yeah, after like, after all that time they left like six months later, I get a, I get a couple emails. I went right into my spam and I get a phone call and it's from, I think it's from one of the yes men or it might've been the director, Laura Nix, who is an amazing beautiful powerful creative force and she did uh she just actually got nominated for an academy uh, she did a short documentary that got nominated it, it, it's she's just amazing can't say enough good things about her she unfortunately set this really high bar for uh directors and creatives um and then the next director that I worked with was unfortunately Michelle Latimer, who was like so fucking just a gigantic failure to work with. It was, it, you meet someone like Laura and on the exact opposite of the spectrum, you meet somebody like Michelle Latimer and you're like, how the fuck does this even work? <laughs> Anyways, I'm kind of going off track. Um, so I get a call from like six months later and they want me to help plan their last skit. Um, where, for the Department of Defense. They wanted to pr prank oh, the, the Department of Defense. The Homeland Security Congress. Yeah, it was uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. I can't remember what we called it. Mm -hmm. And so I planned it with T. Rabara and we pranked everybody thinking that uh, the United States was going to invest billions into green alternatives. Okay, wait, is that when you said that you were part of the wan wannabe nation? Yeah. I, I, and they, and they, that's how you started it? And they yeah. were like, yeah, okay. Well, I think like... <sighs> 
I realized about theater, what I realized about indigenous folks is that um, white, you get a, you get a native guy with a drum who can sing and white people will believe anything that native guy says. Even that you're a part of the wannabe? The wannabe, wannabe, like we're not real, or the wannabe tribe. Uh, I got, everybody... yeah. <laughs> maybe because like... I, I like read it and I didn't like, because there was no video of it. So maybe that's because that, so I could clearly see it. Maybe. There is, there, there's a video they have online. I can't remember, it's like uh, Operation Thanksgiving. I think that's what the, the skit was called. And that was the way they closed out the final film. Um, but we did, we got everybody to, uh, we had a mock round dance where we looked, it looks like everybody's holding each other's asses. And we got that. them to yeah, wear, that video. <laughs> we got them to wear like these bandanas with a, um, instead of a feather with like a, a windmill. Mm-hmm. They all believed it. Like everything they, they, it was so full of shit, but it was awesome to weave this um, to augment reality, to bring them in and not even tell them in the end. We just like fucked off. <laughs> and so, okay, we, we, to get in, we said that uh, they said that they were representing Colin Powell and that we were going to go on before Colin Powell because we were going to be make this, this statement and Colin Powell was going to be the exclamation point on the statement. And they kept saying like, Oh, he's on his way. Colin's on his way. He's just stuck in traffic. He's got this meeting. Uh, they're going to go up first, and then Colin will be here later. And so we did our presentation, and everybody's waiting for Colin Powell to show up. Like everybody is in there is super excited to meet Colin Powell. And we just left. And then as we left, they kept calling and calling. He's like, Oh, yeah, Colin Powell's like, he's literally like five minutes away. He's 10 minutes away. He's at the door. And then we just stopped answering the phone. <laughs> So you just were like, we're going to make America clean, renewable energy by 2030. Goodbye. And they were like, okay, Colin Powell. <laughs> like hook, line, and sinker. I remember getting cards from all of these like people from the Department of Defense, um, Department of Homeland Security. There was some, I think, a senator, or I can't remember, but I remember getting all these like cards from people who wanted to invest. And that was like the one thing I took away from it was that uh, it's like, everybody wanted that moment to believe like they were waiting for permission to believe that they could invest in something. And then once we gave that to them, they fully were in there. Like, and this wasn't in the film, but like people were ready. They're like, we have this project and this project and we're looking for land and maybe we can do something on the reservations. And I'm like, all of this shit is just all the answers that we have right now for climate are there. And everybody's like, they're just kind of waiting. And then we gave them that moment in, in while we were shooting. It was completely fake and 100% bullshit, but they, they believed. And that was the thing I took away from all of that was like, it's there. For people who say it's an impossibility, it's, it's literally right there. We're right at the cusp. We've been at the cusp for like the last 30 fucking years, 40 years. Did that like inspire, I don't know if it came before or after, but like when you did the Yes Men thing where you like, um, but like cinema for peace and you like got on stage and were saying like, who was with me and people were raising their hands. Was that because of this? Um, we, <laughs> we had, oh my God, this is like the craziest, this is like a really long story. And um, I'm here for it. I watched it and I was like, what the heck? No. Okay. So. Oh my God. Okay. So we had the initial, this initial plan where I was going to be um, the, and they, we like, we specifically, like I helped them write it out where we could be culturally insensitive because we were going to mock indigenous or industrial development with indigenous and Inuit people. Cause they were drilling up in the, they're getting, they're getting ready to drill in the Arctic now because everything's melting. 
so I was going to be, um, I can't remember what my name was, but I was going to be the, the Eskimo relations. I was going to be like Eskimo relations because any Inuit person's going to be like, that's just fucking racist. But then when we could break it down, like the whole process of the industrial expansion and exploitation is racist. So we're going to make fun of that. And then Mike from the Yes Men was going to be a CEO of something, but he was going to be drunk and he was going to start rambling on about like how climate change is a plus. And we had this polar bear, this like man-made polar bear in the background. And they were going to like people, this is like a German thing, but these people were going to fall out of the polar bear. Mark, Mike was going to try to like, I think he was going to try to like hump it or ride it or something. And then the people inside were going to fall out. And the very German thing is like naked humor. So they were going to be naked and then chase Mike around as I, the indigenous person or the Inuit, the Eskimo um, relations was going to talk about the benefits of, you know, industrial expansion while all this shit's going on behind me. However, as we were going in, we got busted by security. Security got our whole team, like all of our team was busted. Where we were at was, um, I think it was like the Peace Gala in Berlin during the Berlin Al, the film festival. And they had this thing called the Peace Gala. And this guy, uh, he's like a millionaire in, in Germany. What he did was he saw the, he saw the Berlin Al and what he would do is he had this, like, he'd rent out this fancy hall. He would charge, like, fucking two grand a plate. Um, and then he would get celebrities to donate props from their movies. And then whatever they, they fundraise, because it was like, a, you know, they were, they were um, auctioning them off. Whatever they could fundraise, that money would go to the, uh, to whatever, you know, uh, charity that they wanted. So that's where we were at. And they had like, they would, they would say names. I wouldn't even show up, but they would send invites out to like Leonardo DiCaprio and everybody else. And then like Natalie Portman was there and she was actually there. So our whole team gets busted and it's just me and Mike and we just duck out a side door and we're in the actual hall of this gala and security is looking for us. And we're like ducking down between these like tables and we're like, what are we going to do? I was wondering how you got up there. That makes sense. (laughs) I was like, what are we going to do, man? Like there's just us. And he's like, Mike's like, let's just go, let's go rush the stage. Let's pretend that we're winning an award. I'm like, will that work? He's like, yeah, we'll just hijack the mic. And we're like, but when though? And he's like, well, we'll wait for, um, we'll wait for a certain award. And if I know the people, then we'll just go do it. So uh, there was an award that was given. I can't remember. It it was, I felt bad because he said he knew the people and he did, but the lady who accepted, he didn't know. And so when we went up there to get the, they called the award. I remember like sitting, like we're like, we're we're crouched down by the tables and they announced the winner. Mike's like, I know everybody who's in that film. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go do it. I'm like, oh man, should we? And he starts walking up and I was like, Mike. And then he just went, I was like, fuck it. Let's just go. So we walked up and I remember they said presenting the award was Natalie Portman. And I'm like, ah, that's that. That can't be the real. And we're on stage and she comes out and I'm like, oh my God, there's like, I've, you know, Natalie's a couple years older than me and I've had a gigantic crush on her since like the movie Heat when I was like a kid and she was a kid and she just got more beautiful throughout the years. And, she's, wild, uh, she's walking towards you and she's walking towards us. And I'm like, holy shit, what are we doing here? And then we, we did, then it became a thing of like, 
telling people to divest, which was like, it's different than running up and asking for everyone's money. Mm-hmm. Saying, oh, you know, do this, uh, you know, invest in the yes men, invest in this. We're like, no, just take your money back. Take your money back from whatever, you know, fossil fuels. That, and the whole place is full of millionaires, maybe even billionaires, but like everybody was fucking loaded. And we're telling people, just take your money back. We don't want your money. Don't invest in us. Don't invest in Greenpeace. Just take your money out from the oil investment that's happening right now. That's going to like, I think it was Gazprom or Shell or whatever. Take your money back. And then um, then we got kicked out. And uh, I remember like, (laughs) there was uh, the guy who did Darwin's Nightmare. Um, he, He joined us on stage. And he, I think he won an Academy or he was nominated for Darwin's Nightmare. And he was like, he loved everything we were doing. He's like, this is real. Like, this is real activism. This is the shit we should be doing. You know, it's not like the fake Hollywood stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And I, <laughs> I remember security came in to grab me. And there was a moment where like, do I, should I resist? Should I not resist? Like, I thought, no, man, I'll just, I'll just go. Like, whatever. I'm not going to get fucked up on the main stage, you know. In, in Germany. And in as I say, in that, front of Natalie Portman, I want to say that. <laughs> so while this is happening, Mike um, does nonviolent resistance and he goes limp as they're carrying him and they push him hmm. on the stage. And in, on, like in the front of the stage is a flight of stairs. Oh. And Mike starts flying down the stairs. No. And I remember watching him like, oh shit. And I look at the bottom of the stairs and there's the late. Of he was alive then and it was like he was an old man in a wheelchair with an oxygen machine and a blanket but christopher lee from star wars from oh. lord of the rings was there mike's tumbling down towards him no. flying down the stairs and i'm like oh my god he's gonna fucking nail christopher lee and like kill him because he's so old and frail mike hits the like the and i guess mike's saying that the last second and he just fucking, instead of rolling into it, he just like absorbs the blow and he stops dead as soon as he hits the ground. And it was like this loud thud of Mike just smashing into the ground. And I was like, damn. So they picked him up and they actually had to carry him out. And I ended up walking through, but the way I was going through was I was actually going through um, the dining hall and people were stopping me and security wanted me out. But there, these were like, these people had money. So they it, They'd stop me and they would talk to me and ask me, like, what do you mean divest? I remember one guy is like, so you like you want me to invest in Greenpeace? Like, like he had his checkbook out, but I'm like, no, I want you to take whatever money you have that's invested in fossil fuels and take it back. Just divest your money. And yeah, and so anyways, they, they kick us out and they got us all at the back of this building. And we're all waiting for this elevator to come up. And they're all figuring out what to do. And the security's there. And then the owner comes out and he's like, I want these fucking guys out of my building right now. <laughs> and so security starts walking towards us. And as they're walking towards us, Pussy Ride shows up. Ah, and they're like, they're like, oh, this, this is our band. This is, they call it an ice bear. They call it polar bear an ice bear. They yeah. jump onto the polar bear. And they're like, this is part, if you kick these guys out, you kick the ice bear out. We're not playing tonight. Were they the playing owner, That's wild. That's like perfect. You, the owner's like, you figure out what to do. And he just fucked off. And so we're all standing around looking at security. Security's looking at us. Pussy rides right there. And they're not moving. And we're like, this is amazing. We had this like 
Uh, his name was Hubert Sopair. He was the guy who directed uh, Darwin's Nightmare, Pussy Riots with us. And we we're in the way of them bringing the memorabilia onto the stage to auction off. And so like, I'm watching them pass memorabilia over and I fucking see, I think it was Gandalf's wand from Lord of the Rings because Christopher Lee's there and he's, he's auctioning that off. So I grab it. It's, it's got, it has to get passed over the, the polar bear. So I grab the fucking wand. I have nowhere to run, but I grab the wand and then security starts rushing me. And they're giving out some kind of awards outside. And I remember just like putting the, the fucking pole down and shouting like, you shall not pass. And, yeah. Like everybody stops. And like, I'm like, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I just want a couple pictures of this. And then you guys can have it back. So I took a couple of like selfies and I gave it back to security because they didn't really know what to do. Right. They didn't want to get rough with us because Pussy Riot was there yeah. and they were the main act. They were going to perform. Yeah. And if they didn't perform, like people were there to see Pussy Riot and they were, they're bringing the message of, you know, Russia and, you know, revolution and, you yeah. know, all that good jazz. All they would also matter. like definitely make a thing about it. If they did do anything to you, I would, yeah. I would assume. So we're just standing around and we just decided like, ah, fuck it. Let's just go. So we leave. And then um, as we're leaving, I remember there was a couple security guards <laughs> Uh, one was manhandling Mike. One was manhandling this old guy, and one he was like getting in my face. And these like I'm six four, and these guys were fucking big dudes. They're like six three, six four, six five, six six, in crazy shape. Like these guys were like in fucking shape. Like if shit was to go down, and they were to like fucking start throwing, the security guards they'd be the ones like left standing. So as we're in there, I remember this one security guard who was really rough with everybody got in my face a couple times. Like we were actually going to throw down. And so as we're leaving, our whole group is in this elevator and we're going down. The elevator doors are closing. I stopped them from closing and I opened them up. And I was like, at some point, you guys are all going to like wonder how we got in and how this happened. And you're going to start pointing the fingers at somebody. I'll let you know right now. It was that fucking guy right there that let us in. And it was the guy who was like the biggest asshole. And then we left, the doors closed and we leave. So we end up like going to these like restaurants and stuff. And we're talking about the action we did. And if it was like, if it mattered, you know, if like what we did actually mattered. And at the same time, we're like, well, I guess we salvaged this because we, our initial plan got busted and our initial plan, we were like, was that even good? You know? And then we get a call from fucking Pussy Riot. That's like, hey, we're doing a show. Ah. here's the address <laughs> backstage passes for you and your entire crew bring Ooh. bring the ice bear like ah. cool bring the ice bear and that's at a completely different venue so we go we go there because who the hell in their right minds is going to turn down a backstage pass to pussy ride nobody and we go Amazing. and so we all roll up and we get out and it's this fucking nice ass venue that it's completely different from where they had the, the peace gala and we start walking i start looking around and i'm like everybody up here everyone that's coming here looks like they don't look like pussy riot fans they don't look like punk rockers they don't look really young they're wearing really expensive like dresses and tuxes i'm like man this is kind of crazy where did they how did some some start to look a little familiar like i was like i think i seen that person at the peace gala really must this is kind of weird i look up and at the front doors, as we're like at the front doors, is the fucking security from the, the Peace Gala. This is the after show. 
So they just moved everybody from where they were at to this new place. And then again, we get fucking rushed by all of the security who's like, you guys aren't fucking coming in and fuck you. And like, they're just like so pissed. And then Pussy Ride comes up and it's like the seas part and they grab us and they bring us down into this like club where we're like, it's crazy. I don't drink, but it was an open bar. Everything was like free. It was just like being in a really weird European gangster movie. Cause like there was a section that was like roped off with all of these amazingly beautiful women. And then there was like, these looked like these Turkish dudes, these old Turkish dudes sitting in the corner, like, like none of those guys are bad guys in real life. Like I'm just looking at them. Like this is like an exact crazy gangster European movie. And then they pull us on stage and they, they bring up a couch and we're sitting on a couch watching uh, Pussy Riot play their whole entire set. Oh, that's so that amazing. was the night. One of the best that's... nights I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. That's the best night of my life too. And I wasn't even there. So. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so fucking cool. First of all, I'm dying. Cause I just like love Pussy Riot so much. Um, but also like, that's fucking eventful. And you really. <laughs> so like, have... there was, I can't, there's an Italia and I can't remember the other girl's name. There's like the short one. And then like, there's a taller, darker skinned one. Uh, they, they definitely like, I don't know where they're at now, but they definitely carried trauma from being thrown in prison. Cause this is after they got out and they definitely still had that. Both of them still had it when we we're in the back and we we're talking and chilling. Like they, you move too fast around them and you just seen them like freeze up and you're like, Oh shit. They're like, they're still in it. They're still processing it. They're still coming out of it. They're still like, you never want to go to those Russian fucking like prisons and that you got sent directly there. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, they're, they're as hardcore and as real as you think they are. And they're super friendly at the same time. There wasn't like people are beneath us. Like you get with certain celebrities and actors um they were like fucking the coolest people i've ever met ever like you whatever you think of pussy ride as that's what they are and like i was i was so excited to meet them they were just so beautiful cool that is so freaking cool like your whole story is cool but i'm like a little starstruck by that (laughs) i was so starstruck with them and they were like they were treating us like celebrities because of what we did. And we're like, uh, you, you're fucking pussy riot. Like this is two very different levels. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are fucking impressive. And you know what? This this story with the yes men, there's even like an like you've done multiple um, you've done multiple projects with them. And even your more recent project, like I think you got like I noticed four awards. Um, there might have been more. Um, I think that's six now. Nice, nice. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll just switch. switch or I could talk about this forever, but I have a big list of things to talk to you about. Um, the Peace Pipeline was um, your other project with the Yes Men. And then I think, is that all of them? One, two, three, four? Did we get them? Yeah, I think that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, so, we're, we're, we're planning more and we're actually trying to get a show out of the peace pipeline 
Yeah. And so actually we have some clips of the peace pipeline that we can play uh, just in one second. We can we'll play we can play the first one and it just kind of like shows uh, people like an introduction. Um, and then uh, there's a there's a pretty good part that um, I think would be great to to show also that I think would um, demonstrate. Well, it demonstrates exactly what it demonstrates. I'm not going to ruin it, but we can play the play the first part first, just so people can see the intro for the or the starting for the peace pipeline. The pipes gonna go from here to here to here, and then straight down that way. Right underneath those white guys. Like and then it. over. It's all gotta be clear cut. I like it. It's all gotta be moved out of the way. We're a native owned and operated uh, pipeline company. And uh, you, know, you can look us up. And uh, oh, Carl Ironize. Carl We've been granted yeah, the last uh, 19 miles of the pipeline to. To and through Duluth. But unfortunately, some of this golf course is gonna have to be in the way of the pipe. Obviously the cheapest way is to run it straight through. So we're gonna dig it up. They might put it back down. They're looking at schematics right now. It might be an above ground pipe because that's obviously the cheapest. Right through. Um, and so I think, I think that is great. Um, <laughs> and I think it's really important and I like how throughout the entirety of it it's how long is it again I think there's two versions just like 20 minutes ish yeah. yeah you hit a lot of important points that I don't think communities would consider um or wouldn't even be able maybe to have empathy for uh which might be a better way to word it because um, like people hear about pipelines going through indigenous communities um, or going through places that indigenous communities are saying no to, but I don't actually think it hits home for them um, until you went there and were like, this pipeline is going right here. Um, yeah. How was that? How was that experience for you? I think like the, we, it was interesting. Like it was a really it was cathartic in a lot of ways. Um, I dreamt up this idea. I remember I was just like about to fall asleep one night and I'm like, what would it be like if white people had to experience the powerlessness of a pipeline going through? And like, it wasn't, I remember not laughing about it at first because I know there's certain communities, marginalized communities that don't have a say, but like, what if you, what if it wasn't marginalized communities? What if it was like rich folk? What if it was like the upper class, the middle class, you know, people who had a say, people who can make changes that I was thinking like, um, because when the Dakota access, the Dakota access pipeline went through, it was supposed to go north of, um, oh man, I can't remember the name of the city. Uh, the one I was right, like right next to where they put the pipe, but the city itself voted and then said they put it south of the town. Yeah, they said people. it was wild. They could say no. How? Yeah. Did, yeah. And then when we said no, it wasn't. It was like it wasn't a thing. It was just like no, it's going through here. So I wanted to share that experience. And then I got to thinking more. What what places could we do? What places could we hit? 
Um, so we did like this press release. We did, uh, you know, we did, we did a, a, a well, we did like a, a press release news gathering. We invited people to come down. You promise everybody a bunch of shit, which is what they do with us time and time again. And you fail to deliver time and time again is with us, what they do with us. And then I think the cherry on the cherry and all of it was interrupting. I wanted to interrupt church. I remember I was like, let's just go to a church and interrupt it halfway through the sermon, whatever sermon's happening, we'll just interrupt it. And they're like, with what? And I'm like, well, we're going to be, I remember saying like, well, we're going to move graves. We'll take a casket through a church as church is happening. And if people start getting upset, we'll tell them that we're just, you know, we're making way for a pipeline because I know they've interrupted ceremonies with us, you know, when it came to extraction, when it came to the potlatch ban, the ceremonial ban with us, it's part of our reality, you know, like um, even like five or six years ago, uh, there's a man who, an indigenous, an indigenous man who uh, built a sweat on his nation, but the nation was so heavily colonized that the people came and they just tore it down. You know, he was expressing his own, his own right, his own connection back to creation. They tore it down. I wanted to have, I wanted to film these things and I wanted to see what their experience was like. I really wanted them to share in our reality um, and be like the most asshole belligerent person I could possibly be while we're doing it. And fucking Tito, he's so funny. He's so amazing. Like we have, we didn't have any training. We didn't have time. We didn't have like a budget. We had like a small, small budget to do this, um, but we didn't have time to rehearse. So everything you see, we're just creating literally on the spot. Yeah. And like Tito's, he's so funny. He, he's so amazing. He's so funny. He's, he's so, he's so, he was like literally like there's few, there's people who went to Standing Rock and gave it all up. Tito was one of those people. He literally gave everything up to be at Standing Rock and it affected him, you know, and this was kind of like trying to bring some medicine back and he really does shine through it. And he's fucking, he's so funny. Yeah. yeah yeah like even in the intro video uh that we just saw it's like just the beginning like where do you want to put the pipe just under those white guys right there like <laughs> cracks me up um if we want to play the second clip and then we can uh show the the church bit and then maybe talk about it for a second what? what's this all about What's this all about? all about oh we're just uh, we're part of a pipeline company we're contracted by Enbridge so we're gonna have to move some remains for the so pipeline that's coming in without, uh, any oh yeah no we have, we have permission we have eminent domain from Enbridge 
So no, Enbridge got Enbridge got eminent domain because they're here. rerouting their pipeline up here. Oh, you want to talk to the person? Yeah. Oh, here, here's our PR person. Are you the pastor of this church? Or the priest? No, I'm a trustee of the church. Oh, you're the trustee, okay. Well, uh, I don't know if you know this, but when they put in pipelines, they have to move bodies out of the way. And so we're just, uh, there's, we have consent to move one of the, one or two of these bodies, which is what we're doing right now. You're doing what? We're grave removals. This happens when pipelines go through. They do care. it on reservation. We don't care about, about that. Lines. You don't care about standing rock? Not on a Sunday. Not on a Sunday, right so after the service. We just dinner. got out of church. But what I'm saying is that this happens on it reservations. Well, they we, remove bodies or they just plow over them to put does, a pipeline but in. But we just left a really peaceful service. I, I understand. I understand. So maybe today I completely isn't understand. Today. But in the name of the economy and pipelines, that's what we want to do. Yes. We're good right now. Guys, good, good job. Thank you very much. All right, we should probably head out. We have three more cemeteries to hit in the county. So let's go. Let's, let's put this pipe. And so, so many things in that. Like, so many things. The lady taking pictures, the lady videotaping, them being like, we do not give a fuck about Standing Rock. This is my Sunday. How dare you talk to me about such issues? <laughs> Levels. Yeah, I mean, there's like the entitlement, there is their reality, which just got shattered in that moment. Um, yeah, it was for me. People ask why I wasn't mad, you know, why I didn't get mad at the shit they were saying. And I, it didn't, it didn't surprise me, you know, it didn't, uh, it didn't surprise me. It's just who they are. It's just where they're at. And it was one of those things where like our realities are so contrasted where they are, who they are versus where we are and who we are as indigenous peoples. Um, but it was fun. Like there was just seeing the reactions from like the, you know, dropping the, the coffins, you know, driving around with the coffins. Um, yeah, it was it was something different. It was something unique. It, I wanted to go further. We were worried about getting arrested, and we didn't have like like I said, we'd never the budget. You know, we were just going off of like uh, pro bono with some lawyers we knew from the states that were saying get away with this, but not this. Trying to take it too far. Um, yeah, I think for me that really just highlighted the different realities that we're in. I wanted people to see that. My my objective isn't. When I'm creating these things, culture jamming the way we are, it's not to change the minds of the people that are there. If that happens, that's amazing. But really, it's for the viewer. It's for the person that's really consuming this and bringing it in. What are they getting out of it? What are they learning about? You know, and for some folks, because um, when you watch the when you watch the entire film, you can see like. You can see the snippets of what we go through when the police are arresting us and the police are harassing us and the police are assaulting us um, compared to that moment. So you, you, you do see this, this, you get to see it and experience it. And so it's really just for the viewer. It's not really for them. I yeah. love capturing their raw emotions because that's all truth. They're all speaking as much truth as they possibly can. Their reaction's all genuine. And that's the thing we want to, to capture. Again, we don't, as indigenous folks, get that. We don't, we aren't allowed that, those sentiments, you know? It's just like you indigenous peoples are in the way or you're too simple, you don't understand, 
what's happening. You don't understand the economy. You don't understand pipelines. You just need to get out of the way. I wanted to bring that reality to them. And it was fucking beautiful. It were, It was. It was. It was beautiful. And I don't think people really do like it. Like, like for example, like in Calgary, um, like our C train line goes through where the the grave was here. I think they said there was like a single grave. Um, and then so they named um, the like Truth and Reconciliation um you know, let's explain this to people that are listening. Um, the Truth and Reconciliation, um, like, uh, not, um, like the calls to action after that person. Yeah. But like, why the fuck would you put the C train through? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I've talked to people, other white people about it. Um, and they're like, no, that didn't happen. And then they'll Google it. And they're like, no, no one said anything. No one had any issues with it. And I was like, well... Did no one have issues with it? Because that's another narrative I hear a lot too. It's like, well, no one spoke up or no one said anything, which I feel is like utter horseshit. Yeah, guarantee you that we speak up about shit all the time. <clears throat> but the deficit narrative of Indigenous peoples that Canadians have been consuming for generations and generations is that we just don't know any better. You know, we're just stupid, simple people who can't keep up. We can't evolve. You know, we, we're lost in time. We're frozen in time. Um, but our concerns are real and we voice them, but again, they always fall on deaf ears. So, you know, they're, they'll say like these natives just want another handout. So it's a classic conservative line. These natives just want another handout. And really it's more just about more or less just about learning more or less just about listening and being a good neighbor and a human being. Cause if we wouldn't do that shit, we wouldn't do that shit to like native folks, you know, when we follow our traditional values, our governance systems, our traditional governance systems, we don't carry out these kind of atrocities and just say like, this is the way to, the way that it is. You know, we, we have more grace, more elegance. Yeah. And you've taken other, like you've, you've done work with other groups to kind of, um, to portray this further. Like you did, a uh, with vice, uh, you did like a series that kind of portrayed this in a more serious uh. note instead of um, <laughs> um fuck vice that's fair yeah i mean <clears throat> we don't we don't even have to put this part no, in. It, no it's fine you can f- put it in fuck vice um the, the show that we that was initially pitched to us and what made it to the air were two very different things you know i got i had to work unfortunately with michelle latimer and i was at the time i totally was invested in the fact that she was an indigenous person, an indigenous woman, um, you know, like we're all at different levels of reconnecting and culturally reintegrating our identities. And that's where I placed her because I had trust. I also had trust in Vice that they would do their due diligence, which they didn't do. You know, mm-hmm. they, they didn't. They, I mean, the crazy, sad thing about Michelle Latimer is that she's talented, um, but she needed her foot in the door. And she got her foot in the door as being this person in film and making film and also being a gatekeeper for, for indigenous folks. It's so fucked up to think that Michelle Latimer was a gatekeeper for other indigenous creatives, you know, and I remember pitching her ideas like the peace pipeline and being shot down. And then myself thinking like, maybe it's not that good of an idea. Mm. And it's like, I'm fucking winning awards for that. Six awards. 
so far yeah six there's like other awards there's other ceremonies we're giving it to like but that's the thing you know you have these disconnected white people and their idea of what it is to be indigenous that's what she wanted to have and when i say like fuck vice i fully mean it wholeheartedly like fuck vice and the people that are associated the creatives behind um you know rise mm. you know like we, we we what we captured was the true essence of winnipeg mm-hmm. one of resilience and one of beauty one of strength of character one one of these like one of of people against insurmountable odds that colonization has brought us to it's holding us down that has conditioned our own people you know to act against ourselves not in our best interest sometimes out of survival that's like the main thing that people don't realize about winnipeg there's a lot of people are just caught in that survival mentality because they're not given the same opportunities as other canadians they're not given the same opportunities or beholden as other canadians and as a result they get caught in this like this vicious cycle that it's not happening by chance. It's totally planned and it's calculated. They call it colonial forced poverty. You know, these, these socioeconomic problems are, we're in are caused by these calculated choices by the provincial and then federal government. We captured the spirit of Winnipeg, but what made it to film was another poverty porn piece. And it, it fucking disgusts me. There were some good aspects to that episode that was in, but there wasn't like the one thing I can like, I always kind of go back to, there was a youth sweat for youth by youth, like youth were putting indigenous youth were putting up a sweat lodge for other indigenous youth that were in care or they were in trouble. It was youth for youth by youth that never made it to the air. You know, there was uh, Leonard, Leonard Summoner is a musician uh, his this is again this shit this doesn't make the air uh, there's communities that have been displaced from from floods and from fires mostly from floods but they're literally living in hotels okay they've been living in hotels for like a couple of years they can't go back home because it's always fucking flooded and then they have to repair and then when the repairs go through another flood comes by and it fucks them all up there's a lot of hydro issues with this like their communities are being flooded out by the hydro dams by a bunch of other shit that's all out of their hands that they're they're subject to whatever fucking colonial um ideas they have that they're carrying out so leonard hosts a concert a free concert for members of his own community and those that are displaced by the floods and he gets other artists to go there on their free time and do a show because these kids are fucking stuck in a hotel then he answers questions they sign autographs you know, they talk to the youth. It was such an empowering thing to be a part of. Doesn't make it to the fucking film. Mm-hmm. But what does? These poverty porn pieces that all they serve really is the colonial gaze to be like, oh yeah, those Indians, they're, they're still kind of fucked up. Those Indians, they really don't know how to like evolve. It was so, it was so disgusting <clears throat> to be a part of. There was some good parts but there was a lot more to Winnipeg that was actually shown. And I remember like apologizing to everybody. Cause I, I saw like a sneak peek and I told them like, this is bad. 
you guys need to fix a lot of the shit. And I got stonewalled. I had no creative control over the episode. Had nothing. <clears throat> and they're like, oh no. Uh, people seeing it, people love it. Our our test group from Winnipeg loves it. All the fucking people we I, we met on f- from Winnipeg fucking hated it. They liked kind of some of the segments that they were in, but overall they felt again it was just another piece which exploited Winnipeg and the people in Winnipeg. And I remember just sitting there, I'm like, man, this is so fucking shitty. So I apologized to everybody and made like a public post, wasn't supposed to, but just saying like fuck vice and this is terrible. And it really like broke the hearts of some of the organizers in Winnipeg because they put their trust out. It was like one of those things where they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, we don't really trust Vice, but we hear you have an indigenous filmmaker named Michelle Latimer who's at the forefront. Okay. There's also Jared Martin now. We can we kind of trust him. And we, we kind of heard about this like Gitz guy from, you know, I don't know more stuff and kind of seems legit. Unfortunately, like Jared got fired from Vice and I think all of his creative input got like, he was totally erased from the Rise show. And it just was kind of, I felt bad because it really just became this white thing that white people were, were running. Um, so I'll say it again, like, yeah, fuck Vice. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. And, the, and the, the crazy thing is they empowered Michelle Latimer. They did these damaging pieces of indigenous peoples but what have they done in restitution what have they done since then you know these people who brought her to power who gave her money who gave her creative control what have they done to fix any of this stuff nothing because they're not really about really they're not really about the information they're more about getting the clicks they're more about getting the uh, you know the uh just like the social awareness they don't really care about anything else whatever it costs to get that social awareness those those clicks that's all they're invested in so I'll say it again fuck vice mm-hmm. you know it kind of speaks to it that they that that uh rise won the like canadian screen awards but then like the uh like the peace pipeline like the north dakota, dakota yeah sorry north dakota human rights film it's a really long really, really long film, film festival and summit award, um, Ukrainian short film award, um, best, uh, short film documentary. Like you won stuff in places. And then this rise one was like Canadian film awards, which like makes more sense to me. Um, I don't know, but if you look at like the, who, if you look at the people on stage, there's only one indigenous person and that's Serene. If you look at like that, who actually fucking won, bunch of a bunch of white people and then um serene who was literally and maybe it's voluntary because she hasn't really talked about michelle latimer the deceit that michelle had against like all indigenous folks um but she was used her image was used to push michelle latimer's agenda and she's never talked about it but you look at that stage all a bunch of non-native folks congratulating themselves except for serene you know she's the only indigenous person on there yeah yeah it's not that surprising that vice is shitty i think it was started by like gavin mcginnis or something so that guy sucks (laughs) yeah gavin's gavin i mean uh when i went there people who worked with gavin had said that he was like a really 
insecure dude like who just needed like people like he just needed a fucking hug he just needed some like self-assurance from people that he was an okay person you know unfortunately he became what he is now yeah whatever that is (laughs) it's sad because prior to him being what he is now when he was at vice this really shy insecure brilliant dude you know yeah yeah. now a piece of shit i'm gonna say that one a piece of shit <laughs> um okay I, I'm, I'm gonna keep barreling forward through all your stuff um what? so all of your your film work and all that stuff you also do workshops <clears throat> but be, besides workshops you also do um like youth work and mm-hmm. so um and besides that you have a book but we'll get to that um and like the workshops are all around um reconciliation um colonization and um just like the history of treaties um and i guess reconciliation i don't know if that's the right word but um it teaching people like the real history and then what happened and how it affects today which i think is like very 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 complicated for people um, because I think there's like a disconnect between history and current things when you're like explaining things to people, um, especially about Canadian history. Um, I think there's like people get lost in like the atrocities never stopped. They're like, this is history and it has nothing to do with current, but you really try and tie it all together. Um, and I really like I, I've attended so many of your workshops and I've learned so much and you know, I don't even know what I want to ask you about it because I feel like it's just a whole bunch of emotional labor. So if anybody wants to attend these workshops, getscrazyboy.com. I mean, so what, there's emotional labor behind it. Um, I I do do believe that education is the antithesis to racism, you know, because there's there's a gap between Canadians and Indigenous folks and it's there. Whether you choose to agree that it's there, if you see as like we're all one color, we're all one people, whatever. Um, legislation, laws, things that they push through have created this gap between Indigenous peoples and Canadians. You know, like I'm registered as an Indigenous person. You can't say I'm a Canadian because I'm not. Um, I'm six against it to be, and I'm Dinosuthan, and that's what I am. You know, I'm not a Canadian. By law, I'm not a Canadian. So if you have these like feelings like, oh, we're all Canadians. No, we're not. I don't really like doing the slides. People do that, which is great when they do presentations. And, uh, I like to engage folks. <clears throat> so the one that I do that I do a lot of is the uh, colonization and treaties. So we actually run a simulation. You have a group of like at least five. Ten's great, but at least five. I, I've done them for like a couple hundred people. Um, but the minimum is five, but what we'll do is we'll play a game. We'll go through a simulation, we'll play a game. And at the end of this game, 100% interactive, you have full choice, you have autonomy. I give some directions, I lay out some rules, you go through it at the end of the simulation. I wanna say about 90 minutes, you'll have an under, a fucking amazing understanding of uh, treaties, the Indian Act, colonization. Mm-hmm. Also book him at getcrazyboy.com yes. as well. And yeah, I would recommend. I've done almost every workshop um, and watched everything that I have done. <laughs> Thank so, you. 
Definitely. And so, and you also do, so then you do after school programs, working with youth, uh, land-based leadership, all for youth, and then like learning through art. Um, A lot of it, you do kind of stuff at the University of Calgary, but for kids, right? Or not kids, but like youth. Oh, um, no, the University of Calgary, I... um, Or they've booked it before, maybe, and I'm mixing it. Yeah, the University of Calgary has in the past, University of Alberta has um, the colonization game. After school programs, I used to run in Fort Mac until the fire, the Fort Mac fire. And I had two youth programs plus an elder youth lunch that I was running. Our our after school programs were Indigenous based. They're focused on reintegrating Indigenous practices to youth. So making it not so foreign, smudging, bringing in elders. We'll do art activities and projects, challenging youth. We'll do like talking circles. If we get into like ceremonies, we do ceremonies as well. Um, Really, we just did like, and I, I'm still friends with all these kids who are now like, man, they're in their like early 20s. And I, there's even some, I've been working with kids since I was 20. So last last almost, I'm going to be pushing 20 years of working with, with youth. Um, so I'm still friends. I'm still connected with a lot of the kids I worked with throughout the years. Um, yeah, there's some of those brilliant, beautiful minds I've had to come across, you know. Um, the after schools programs, yeah, those were all about... Uh, finding out who we really are as Indigenous folks, but also creating an environment where we can just be ourselves. You know, um, silly, you know, confused, directionless. And it was all it was all welcome because it was all beautiful, you know. Wherever you were at when we ran a youth program, that's what you came in at. And, you know, sometimes it's just to find a quiet place because home is so crazy. Um, and sometimes it was... They, they would try to send, they would send me, they would, you know, the teachers would be like, well, good luck with, some of these fucking teachers need to just quit, you know, they'd be like, good luck with this kid. And they were always like the best, funniest, brightest kids, you know, they were challenging at times, but once you established a relationship, a level of trust, like if you were to go in a war, this is you'd be you'd want him at your side, him or her or them at your side, you know. Like if you're going to war, this is the person we're taking. Um, because they were so funny, even if like uh, it reminded me of that that quote from the Seven Samurai, which is like the wood chopping samurai, you know, they're like, What's this? They're talking about getting these samurai to protect the village, and they get this wood chopping samurai, and they're like, What's the skill level at? And they're like, Oh, it's mediocre, but when times get challenging, their spirit is going to keep us like, you know, up and bright. And I always felt like that with a lot of the kids, they, they, they were still learning, you know, still learning how to be little people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was fun. I had a lot of fun with running, at, running after school youth programs, doing film projects with kids, uh, creating art activities. Yeah. It's been a few years though, since I was, I was in that, but I loved it. I still love it. And so your book, um, readable by both youth and adults, uh, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, it's a pretty good read. Um, your book has actually gained a metric butt ton of attention um, from a lot of different places all over the world. Because um, I think you did like on and it was on an Australia radio station. Yeah. Um, but like book clubs have also discussed it. CBC had it on there. It was on like a different um, news station also. And then the University of Calgary radio station. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I it was for it was a YA young adult book. Um, I wrote it. I had uh, raised this boy. Oh man, it was a one, one to about three, three and a half, and things didn't work out with his ma, and then we stopped talking. <clears throat> and uh, so there was a, the the greatest heartbreak was loving this this boy as my own son and not having a relationship or anything afterwards you know just having it just completely cut um yeah it was so difficult and so hard to just try to piece together your life when this child is no longer there you know, things don't work out with me and his mom and uh oh but wanting to give him something you know and I, I wrote it for all, for all youth, specifically indigenous youth, whose parents had split up, you know? For those kids that were wondering why they didn't see their dad or their mom's ex or their dad's ex, you know, or their mom, why they didn't see them and where they stood in their life. And I wanted to write this book for this child. And... I wanted to at least give him that. So if he ever wondered or ever, you know, wanted to know or anything, he would know. But what I found, and it was, again, it was, it was written for, like, it was written for kids, young adults, young teens. I was surprised at the first book reading that I did was for these uh, seniors. They were, like, in their 50s, and they were older than me, but they said, like, like you wrote this, it was like you wrote this book for me. And at the time I was like, why? Well, I, I remember thinking like, no, I didn't, they totally didn't write it for you. Like this was, <laughs> you were not my target audience. But then I found like people in their thirties and their twenties, you know, they'd write to me, they'd send me a message and they would say like, I was at so weird, like weird, unexpected connections. People, they would talk to me about people who had passed away you know, and it helped them with some closure or it helped them. And this is like, I, I don't know anything about this. I didn't write for this purpose, but these were their own parallels and their own things that they were, their conclusions that they, they themselves are drawing. And so you just have to sit there and take it in and be like, I never know how to take it. Like even today, I don't know how to respond to it. Um, and very, uh, grateful if that's the word to use that it had hit people on so many different levels and so many different ages um that it, it's there you know and I, I was yeah so that was the book and then afterwards we reconnected and uh we reconnected it was about eight years so he was about 11 when we reconnected and um, I gave him the book. I told him, you know, this is for you. And I didn't know how he respond to it. But at 11, he read the book and he just loved it. And he was talking about becoming like a, an author himself. And we would tell stories to each other. And we've been connected since then, since the book got released to now. So it's been pretty cool. So that book is called Secret of the Stars. Yes. And then the 
Sorry, you're releasing another book now, or you have released it and I totally missed it. No, no, it hasn't come out yet. Uh, it's okay, a graphic novel. It's coming out, I think, either the end of this year or sometime next year. Cool. Uh, that one's through Highwater Press and it's called the, uh, uh, it's called the Res Doctor. I think that's what the title is right now. Mm. Um, and so let's go back. The Secret of the Stars is a story about a young man who watches four stars fall to the earth. And then he, he's told, he has a vision. And in this vision, he's told by these spirits to find these four stars. And I remember, I remember as a kid watching stars, shooting stars, and thinking like, what do they become when they hit the earth? Do they still remain a star or do they become something else? And so when this character in the book, who's nameless, has to go find these four stars, what do they become when they hit the earth? What do they change into? What does he find? The journey takes him his entire life. And there's an ultimate bigger meaning to why he had to get those four stars. And all of it is revealed in the book. <laughs> that, that the link for the book will be below. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you can, you can buy them from me on the website and I, I you know, sign them and send them to you. Um, the, the new one though, the graphic novel I'm working on um, we're just putting the finishing touches, the coloring, and all that jazz. That's the Res Doctor. That's through Highwater Press. That'll be out hopefully next year. Awesome. And uh, that one's already done. And I'm working on my manuscript right now for a teen series. Ooh, nice. I've been working on it for a while, but I'm actually just booking time and just doing it now. Nice. So wow. that, hopefully I'll have this one done. Uh, I'm about 210 pages in. I'm hoping to have it written before the end of May. Cool. Well, I'm freaking excited to check it out. Awesome. And yeah, I'll definitely throw the link below if you want to read his first book before his second one comes out. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I just have one more question for you. Shoot. What is your statement for the people? Um, the world is like... The world is a very strange and scary place. And all the security that we used to have exists in the days that pass. And like, we're never gonna get those back. And you could be defeated by this idea. You could be like reclusive by this idea, this reality. But you gotta realize that we're all here and we have the ability to change the course that we're on right now. And when you're at your lowest, you know, just know that you're loved passionately by people around you. Even if you're like in the midst of addiction and you're stuck in that, you know, at your lowest, at your very, very lowest, we don't feel like you can feel any worse as a human being. People still love and admire you. And when I come back to this idea of the world, you know, there, there is no second act. There's nothing after this now. It's literally up to us to try to change the course. And you're here on this earth right now, walking around, living and breathing. And you have to take that first step because we can change the course. We can change the course direction we're on right now, but we can only do it together. We can't just do it on our own. We have to come together to do it. We actually can save the planet. We can save one another. So if there's anything... That's what I want to tell you. You can change the course and that you are loved and appreciated 
wherever you're at right now in your life, whatever you got going on, you're in the middle of a gigantic success or catastrophic failure. People love you and people want to see you doing better. And we appreciate it. And just, you know, do as best as you can to try and heal yourself and be gentle. That was goddamn beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Damn, that was a real one. <laughs> and so below, I'm going to put the links for the Peace Pipeline. Also for um, a clip of gets at the tar sands with the yes men and also the cinema for peace because you want to see the polar bear. Um, and then, of course, gets his website um, and that's where you can find the book. And that's also where you can book him for workshops. Um, also, just like, yeah, check him out all over social media. Um, he's hilarious and his his memes are so fucking funny. So <laughs> <laughs> the memes, I totally forgot about the memes. <laughs> it's a whole nother part. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know we went a little over, but I think I'm going to leave this one a little longer. So, cause it's just great. So thanks for everything. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Cut.